with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God's desire is that we would give Him glory. The Greek word for glory is doxa. Maybe you've heard of the doxology. A song that gives glory to Him. The word glory means to give God honor or to give God praise. And so if we're going to achieve our objective in life, we're going to give God honor or praise. We're going to give Him glory. And the avenue through which that is accomplished is worship. We're going to begin today a series of studies on the topic of worship and specifically on the heart of worship. We're going to understand that God's desire is that we as people would give Him glory by worshiping Him. Now, as often the case, we think of worship and we find extremes. And much is done today under the heading of worship that is quite often less than worshipful, all right? Um, I think sometimes we, we can go through the motions. And human beings are incurably religious. And we can just say, well, it's Sunday. In my culture, we go to church. And we can go to the church house. And we can occupy a seat for <clears throat> excuse me, an hour or so. And we can think, well, uh, I, I've done my part. I've worshipped the Lord. But it can really have very little impact, very little meaning. And we can take very little home with us. And, and quite often, we see that, that there's a bane in churches today of an emotionless, heartless, routine type of an approach to God. How many of you have ever heard of Mr. Bean? Those of you that haven't, you're going to be blessed today, all right? And uh, every now and then I like to show educational videos to help us better understand something. I want us to watch a brief video today to help us understand what heartless worship might look like in our lives, all right? Let's watch this for a minute. All right, you either get Mr. Bean or you don't. For those of you offended today, I'll pray for you, okay? Uh, but I think really that typifies so much of what happens in churches today. And if you're like me and you would agree that there is a spiritual decline in our land today, and certainly all the numbers would, would reveal that, that people are, are leaving church in great numbers, I think it's because a lot of what happens in a lot of churches, it's just dead orthodoxy, it's just ritualism, it's, it's a heartless worship that is boring people to death. Now, you might say, I'd never fall out of my chair like that guy did, but sometimes spiritually we sleepwalk through the whole process. Now, that would be an extreme. The other extreme would be an emotions-based type of worship experience. I appreciate the opportunity to work with Brother Ryan in, in uh, making sure that we have services that have a theme and we do our best to be a blessing and an encouragement. And uh, from time to time, he'll find things, again, in this genre of worship that, that we take a look at and, and we think, I cannot believe that. 
And I'm not being critical today uh, just for the sake of being critical. I'm in this church, as are you, and I want our church to know what worship is all about. But friends, I have to tell you that so much of what is being taught about worship, it's just an emotionalism. And it gets people in a frame of mind. And, and churches today, quite often, they, they know how to work a crowd and they'll get the driving beat started early to take people to a place where, where they want them to go. They, they, they make uh, contrived and manipulated types of emotions rather than authentic worship. And, and I want you to just see a brief clip, and believe me, it gets more absurd than what you're about to see, but a brief clip of, of some things that, that we found that would be the other extreme when it comes to worship. All right, Brian's going to lead us in the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. Put your right hand in, put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you put your right hand out. You put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left we want to hear what the Lord's doing. I, uh, when I started doing the hokey pokey, at first with the arms, uh, nothing, nothing real effect. But then as soon as I just start, we started doing the whole, we'll put your left foot in, your right foot in. Both of my knees, you know, one at a time, I could just feel all of a sudden it's like there was no pain. Now we could go on, but something as absurd and ridiculous as the Holy Spirit hokey pokey. It's, it's actually pretty commonplace in, in churches in America today. And what we've done, we have forgot that God is the audience, and in seeking to create something that we think would be appealing to people, we've degenerated what we call worship into something that is done so that man can find some, some type of, of fulfillment in it personally, rather than God being the one that is honored. And so on one side, we've got this dead, heartless, people just wanting to sit around, and we've been doing this for 50 years, bless God, and we're going to keep doing it this way, because that's just how we do it, and, and it's just dead, that appeals to nobody. And then on the other side, you have this sensationalism that is designed to appeal to the flesh of humanity. And it's not glorifying to God the Father. And there's got to be a balance. There's got to be a middle road. You see, the worship service is often seen as one hour a week where we get our worship out of the way. What it should be in reality is a one hour reminder that we should live out worship every other hour of the week. Now, certainly we worship God corporately and collectively here, but this should serve as a launching pad where we get out of here and in a real and a practical way, we live worship in our day-to-day -day lives. God's not looking today for people who will go through the motions. Nor is God looking for people who will get wrapped up in an emotional or momentary euphoria. He's looking for people who will invest their lives moment by moment living for Him. In my estimation, a study of worship, it's a study of the Christian life. And for sake of our study today, we're going to dial in on the heart of worship. We're going to deal with our approach to God. And I believe we can all be helped in this. And I don't want to miss the point of life. And if I'm going to glorify God, I'm going to have to do so through the avenue of worshiping God. And I'm going to invite you, if you're able today, to join me in standing as we look to the text together. And uh, Psalm 95 is where we're going to be today. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. 
In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it. And his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. In that last verse, the Bible says this, O come, and here's the next three words I want us to get a hold of. Let us worship. One of the byproducts of someone who understands what worship is, he's going to want others to worship God as well. He's going to invite others, if they don't know God, to come to know Him. And he's going to encourage others who perhaps know God and aren't, aren't living that life of worship to, to join. And we find a, a, a compelling request from the psalmist here. Let's worship God. And we'll think of this together. Our Father, we're thankful that when we open the Bible, we're opening Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would receive honor from this, this time of study. God, we all readily confess, apart from you working in our lives, we can't learn or grow or be helped. And God, I need your power. And as we think of worship today, we pause once again to acknowledge that there's not an audience here in this room. This has not been designed to please people here, but Lord, we are seeking that our collective worship today would be honoring and pleasing to you. You're the audience, Lord. And I pray that as you look in, you'd find all of us doing our best. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. One author earlier in this century made the statement that he thought people worked at their play and they played at their work. And I think that's a statement that's fair. I think quite often we see how that could bring difficulty into a life and, and uh, that's a problem perhaps. But, but really the problem and the confusion seems to deepen for today it's been said that we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. And often I find uh, an approach on the hearts of, of people of faith that think this matter of worship is something that is not all that important. We sometimes will think worship is maybe a song, a worship song, or it is a service, a worship service. And although you can worship God in song and you can worship God in a service, worship for the person of faith is to be a lifestyle of giving to God. You see, not only does God instruct us over and over in His Word to worship Him, but we find that the Scriptures are replete with examples that would prove to us that God is worthy of our worship. He's deserving of it all. You see, that all speaks of the heart of worship. The essence of worship is giving. And the object of the giving is God. And, and what a tragic mistake it would be if we approached what we call worship uh, as a church with a mindset that said, how can we design a service that would be really enjoyable, really appreciated to the people that attend it? Now, to be sure, we don't go out of our way to make a service that we think would not be appealing to people. But if we're truly here to worship, we need to ask this question. How can we have a service today that would be honoring and glorifying to God? We don't design this service to be pleasing to people. We're to work together to be pleasing to God. Try and follow this. The worship from the worshiper is for the God that we are worshiping. And so in our lives, we're to say, God, I want this to be pleasing to you. And when we come together, my objective in a sermon and our objective in music, it's not to be pleasing to the crowd primarily. It's that together we may be pleasing to God. A human-centered worship is no worship at all. A prideful or selfish approach in worship assures that God will not receive it. There's only one approach that is appropriate for worship. And as we begin to think of the heart of worship, I want us to think today of that humble 
heart before God. That's where it begins. James 4, 6 says that God tells us he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The verses that we are studying today conclude this way. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. You don't have to read very diligently in that verse to see there's a humility that is present when we worship God and bowing and and kneeling. You get the idea right up front that the heart of worship is a heart of humility. So today I want us to consider this question. Why does God deserve a humble approach in worship? Why is he looking for a humble heart in it all? And the verses before us today, I believe, answer that question. As we look to God's word, the first element we'll see is that we should be humble because of his provision. His provision. Let's look again at verse 1 in our text and let the Bible speak for itself. The Bible says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Now, I love the way the psalmist encourages his audience to join him. Again, if someone truly knows who God is and seeks to give glory to him, that person will want others to come to know God as well. And he encourages them to make a joyful noise. Now, I'm glad it says that. We've all heard, you know, it says a joyful noise. And what I do wouldn't qualify as beautiful singing. But all of us can make a noise, all right? And all of us can make a joyful noise to the Lord. And so the psalmist, he's inviting everybody and he's saying, let's come together and worship God and we'll worship him in this way and and then he encourages them to come because God is the rock of our salvation now if you're a person of faith today if you have truly been saved by God's grace you understand that salvation is not something that we can earn or merit or pay for on our own salvation is something that comes as a gift from God If I need to be saved in the sense that I'm in some situation that I can't get out of, I need a Savior, and the Savior, spiritually speaking, is God. And that's a great thought. Paul told the believers in Ephesus this, in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Some years ago, I made a trip in the winter out to Colorado. My grandparents are, uh, my granddad's in heaven now. But uh, my grandparents were spending the winters in, in Palm Desert area, and, and uh, they have a farmhouse out there, and they knew I was going to go back there, and they said, Steve, if you want to stay in our place, you can do that. I said, that would be great. So I started heading out that way, and uh, took the uh, 15 to the 40 to Flagstaff, and got on the 89 through the Indian Reservation there, and made my way to the 160 through Cortez, got to Dove Creek, you hang a left there, you know, and, and uh, I got on a 12-mile-long gravel road. And it was just snowing like nobody's business. And now it's late in the night. And you take the gravel road until it becomes a dirt road. And there is a difference, okay? So I went 12 miles on the gravel road. I'm getting on the dirt road now. And the snow's just piling up. I become hopelessly stuck. I mean, it's now middle of the night. Uh, it's freezing cold, just about a blizzard. And uh, I got stuck, tried to get unstuck, which made me hopelessly stuck. And so I called AAA. Thank God they answered. They sent a tow truck driver out. He drove to the end of the gravel road, got out of his truck, walked down to the dirt road to where I was, and uh, he looked at the situation. I kid you not, this is exactly what happened. He walked right back to his tow truck, got in, and drove off. (laughs) He left me there to die. Can't believe it. And uh, I'm sure he thought this, this is going to take longer than I'm going to make. I don't know what he thought, but, but he thought more trouble than it's worth. And, and uh, so he just left. So I'm stuck. I'm hopelessly stuck. I cannot possibly save myself. And I did what I was trying to avoid doing. I got on the phone and called my uncle that lived some miles away. 
And uh, uh, my, my, my grandparents are gathering, live very far in the boonies. I, I call my uncle, and a short time later, he shows up in a four-wheel drive John Deere tractor. He's a farmer. Nothing runs like a deer, even in snow. He pulls up. He gets the cables out. He attaches it to my car. He pulls me out of snow, and uh, uh, I, I follow him home that night. You see, I was in a situation I could not get myself out of. But somebody came to me, and they met my need. They came at an inconvenient time to an inconvenient place. They came to a, a climate they, they, they probably would not have chosen. And, and I'm so glad that somebody saved me from that predicament. Now, I want you to realize that analogy is not much different than my spiritual story. I was lost, hopelessly lost, because of my sin. God's a holy God. I'm an imperfect person. I, I sin, and because of that, uh, I, I know that there's a rift between me and God. Being a holy God, He can't overlook my sin. He can't wink at it. He can't ignore it. Uh, just because He's a, a loving God doesn't mean He could say, uh, no problem about that sin. He's a holy God. But what he did is he made a decision to say, I will come to meet your need. And so God became man without ceasing to be God. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. He died on the cross of Calvary, not for anything wrong he had done. He did nothing wrong. He died on the cross to pay for my sin and yours. And he extends to people today as a gift, salvation. He offers to everybody who will come to him in faith the gift of eternal life. I'm so grateful for that. Hebrews 5 and verse 9 says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. You see, I had no hope of salvation in any effort that I could give, but Jesus saves those who believe. You know, when my uncle finally got me back to his house that night, we both knew something. We both, we both knew some information, both of us. We both knew that I was a dumb city kid that didn't know how to drive in the country, especially in snow. He didn't have to tell me how lost I was, how hopelessly stuck I was. I, I completely understood. But as, as we got into his house that night, there was something I said. Uncle Steve, thank you so much. I mean, he came out in bad weather. He had to get in a tractor, fire it up, uh, drive in a blizzard. He probably would have rather been doing any other number of things. But he came to meet my need. All I could do to him was say humbly, thank you so much. And being a nice uncle, he said, don't, don't worry about it. Uh, I was glad to help you. You see, friends, that's where worship begins. It begins with the heart that understands that God is the rock of our salvation. That word rock is a great word. It could also be translated as a fortress rock. That's the idea when it says God's our rock. It's not just saying he's a great big boulder. It's the strength found therein. It's a house that's been hewn out of the rock wherein you could go to find safety. And I want to remind you today that if you're a believer, you've been placed inside of the safety that comes from God. He is our provider and we should be humble because of his provision. When we come to God and worship, we need to acknowledge that He came to us. We never could have made it to Him. The Bible goes on in verse 2. It says this, Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. And in that verse, we find the truth, secondly today, that we should be humble because of His presence. His presence. Now, I love the way the text says here that we should come into His presence with thanksgiving. And I can't imagine any other way to approach God. I mean, He's God, we're not. And if we get to come anywhere near his proximity, we should be pretty thankful about that. That's a good thing. And so the Bible says we're to come into his presence with thanksgiving. And the Bible is letting us know that, that, that God's presence is available to us by faith. When a person accepts Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in that person. 
And if you have the Spirit, you're a believer. And if you don't, you're not. We know that when someone gets saved, the Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God, comes into our life. Romans 8 and verse 9 says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Think of that, friends. When we have an appropriate estimation of God, we'll walk humbly before Him. And when we understand that when we place our faith in Christ and we're saved spiritually, we come to know Him as the rock of our salvation, we'll then understand that God in His grace abides with us. He's with us every moment and every, uh, every moment of every day through the work of God the Spirit. And that'll bring a humility to our lives. We need to know what it is to have an appropriate response to an authority like that. I think we all have an understanding on one degree or another. In the military, for example, if a salute is appropriate, that's what's given. In the military, you'll hear a lot of yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And all of that is a way of acknowledging or honoring someone that may be of a higher rank than you. If I'm able to meet an elected official or maybe if I have an opportunity to uh, talk with a police officer through, through the you know, window there, as he's sharing with me, why it is he pulled me over, I, I may use appropriate terms. Yes, sir. No, sir. Thank you. I, I'll be very polite. In fact, more polite than I would be if I were just talking with a very good friend. You say, well, why is that? Why would you treat that person in a better way than just your friend? Is it because they're more valuable? Absolutely not. Just being appropriate for the situation. You understand there's an authority. You understand the power that is present there. And in response, you, you very appropriately so use terminology to reflect that you understand. That, that would be a humble thing to do. It would be arrogant uh, uh, if you were to not act that way. Now, that's a human analogy, but the reality is God is more valuable. God is greater. God is, is God, and we are not. And for that reason, when we approach God, there needs to be a humbleness. There needs to be a holy reverence to it all because God deserves it. Not just because of a title, but because of who He is. In Revelation 4.11, the Bible says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Oh, friends, the Bible does tell us that God is our friend, but before we can enjoy that relationship, we have to remember that He is God. And there's, there's a holy reverence that is there when we understand who He is and that His presence is in our lives. I have to tell you that much of what we see under the banner of worship is so trite and frivolous that it appears to miss the mark of a, of a humble approach to God. The carefully crafted show of it all attracts a crowd, but I want you to understand this statement. A crowd does not a church make. Getting a bunch of people in a room doesn't equate out to a church. They can meet on Sunday and they can meet in a, in a building that the community would recognize as a church building. But it's entirely possible for a group of people to gather inside a building that has the word church somewhere on the front of it. And in God's eyes, they're not in church at all. The book of the Revelation tells the story of some churches. And there's one church that pictures the day in which we're living. As John receives this revelation from God, he, he begins to forecast and foretell the, the future. And he tells of a church, the Bible refers to it as the Laodicean church, to share what the age will be like prior to the coming back of Jesus Christ. That's us. So John writes about a church that, that is an example of the church in the day we're living. And to do so in Revelation 3.20, he says this, 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come to him and will sup with him and he with me. Maybe you've seen a painting of Jesus standing at a door knocking. It's derived from this verse. And quite often, by application, we'll say that Jesus is knocking at the heart's door of everybody, asking to come into their lives. And that may be an application, but the primary interpretation of this verse is the church in Laodicea, the church that typifies the day in which we're living. They're inside having services. They're inside doing the Holy Spirit hokey pokey. They're inside doing whatever it is they want to do, designing a service to please the people rather than to please God. And the result of it is they're so busy having services, they've kicked out Jesus and he's on the outside of his own church knocking on the door saying, listen, what you're doing in there, it's not right unless I'm in the middle of it all. You're to be pleasing me and glorifying me. You're to be worshiping me. What a sad thing it would be to attend a worship service in a worship building and sing worship songs and not really worship. 2 Timothy 3.5 says this, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away, we don't hear many turn away messages today. But the Apostle Paul there speaking to the young pastor, Timothy, said, you know, there's going to be some people, they, they have a form of it all, it would appear, but they're denying the real power of it, of such turn away. We see the provision of God, the presence of God, and, and the verse we just read leads us to the third heart here. The third element is we should be humble because of His power. His power. Verse 3 in our text says this, For the Lord is a great God, and a great king above all God. Sometimes we sing that song here, above all. I just love the reality that so many of these songs we sing, uh, if you read the Bible, the songs mean so much more. They're extolling the virtues of God's word. He's above all gods. Verse 4, in his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. Above all. Psalm 89 and verse 8 says this, O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee. Again, in this text we read, the psalmist said that in his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills are his also. Friends, the power of God is with us even in the deep places. I don't know, but maybe you're here today and you would say, I'm either coming down off a mountaintop in life, I'm in the bottom of a valley, or I'm just heading up on the other side. But I think it'd be a relatively small percentage of people today who could say, I'm at the absolute pinnacle. And I think we're all aware that life is comprised of beautiful highs and some difficult lows. There's the good times and the trying times, and that shouldn't surprise any of us. That's life. We need not sit around when the difficult day comes and say, why me? Why not you? Okay, That's just the nature of life. What the Bible does say, however, is that God in His great love has made a decision through His power to be with us through every bit of it. He's with us in the valley. David in Psalm 23 and verse 4 said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why, David? He said, Because God's with me, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the rod and the staff, we know, were instruments of power that the shepherd would use to guide and help his sheep. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher in the last century, and he wrote so much on the Psalms, and, and he wrote much on these, these words about the strength of the hills are his. And he revealed in his study that when the Bible speaks of the strength of the hills, the Bible is not saying the hill has strength. He's referring to the strength needed to get up that hill. 
Friends, what a great thought that through God's power, whether we're coming down one hill, we're in a valley, or heading up the next, what gets us to those, those great moments of life and through all of it is the power of God at work. I'm saying that when we're in the valleys, God's power is there. When we're climbing the mountain, God's power is there. He is the engine that propels us forward. In fact, we've seen in previous studies that valleys are so essential. On the mountaintops, there's no rivers. On the mountaintops, there's not the, uh, the, the, the farming that, that we would often see more in a valley setting where there's more moisture. And if you don't go through a valley from time to time, you will not have the resources you need to ascend the heights in life that you want to climb. And the Bible says that God's with us in all of that. With His power working in our lives, He's leading and guiding and directing. And when we get proud in life, what happens is our strengths become weaknesses. Someone might say, well, you know, I just call it like I see it, Pastor. I mean, if it's on my mind, I just say it. I just say the truth. That's the only way I know how to do it. I just say the truth. I'm just a very frank and candid person. And I could ask that person, what do you think of my new suit? And they'd say, ugly. Check that. Uh, 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 ugly, you know. I'm just saying, just saying it. It's just the truth, that's all. If you can't handle the truth, that's your problem. It's not mine that your suit's ugly. Well, although there's great virtue in being filled with honesty and being very frank and candid, that strength can become a weakness in life if we're not letting God guide us. And then maybe you've got someone who, they're so diplomatic, you can't hardly tell the truth. What do you think of my new suit? And they're thinking it's ugly. You know, and they say, like, it matches your face or, you know, something other than the truth. And, and so they're, they're always shading things away from reality. And they become deceitful and evasive. A person with firm convictions can become pig-headed. A person who is inclined to be temperate and ju- judicious can, can turn into somebody who is, who is uh, of weak convictions. Loyalty can lead to fanaticism. Caution can be timidity. Freedom can be license, confidence, arrogance, humility, servility. You see, if we live a life without acknowledging who God is and living a life of worship, even those areas of strength in our lives, when pride leads the way, it becomes weakness. A life of worship is exactly the opposite. God says, you could bring me the weakest area of your life and I can work in that in such a way that would would show strength. When we humbly give God our weakness, He can take it and infuse it with His power. Years ago, there was a missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor. He started an organization called the China Inland Mission. He moved to China to serve God, and he found that Chinese were a little more open to speak with Chinese people. He actually dyed his skin to appear as though he were Chinese. He grew a long ponytail. I I think today a lot of Christians would probably say, I don't know about that guy. But he had a heart that said, I want to do everything I can to reach people. And, and one day, one of his friends was saying how amazing it was that God had used him in such a great way. And, and uh, he began to listen to all that. And he responded this way. He said, it seems to me that God looked over the whole world to find a man who was weak enough to do his work. And when he at last found me, he said, he's weak enough. He'll do. He went on to say this. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on His being with them. I love it. What he was saying, this man of great accomplishment was saying, no, you don't understand. Anybody that's done a gigantic work for God, it's not because they're great, it's because He's great. 
They've come to him as the weak being that they are, and they've come to personally understand the power of God. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 said this, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The Apostle Paul literally changed the course of human history. Say, well, how did he do that? Was he smart? Well, he was trained at the feet of a man by the name of Gamaliel, the, 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 uh, reputed as the wisest and most learned man in all of the world. And Paul was his pupil. Sure, he was smart. Maybe it was his leadership ability, his ability to communicate. And Paul would say, no, I'll tell you what it was. It was my weakness. Because the strength of God was made perfect or mature or complete in those areas of weakness that I yielded to him through a life of worship. We should be humble because of God's power. Finally today, we'll see that we should be humble because of his protection. Let's look at verse 5. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Sometimes the hyperbole and metaphor and word pictures we find in the Psalms, it kind of escapes us. The psalmist essentially says that our creative God made the sea, he made the land, the two components necessary to stave off starvation, the the elements made by God to to support us along the way. In Genesis chapter 1, where we find the biblical account of creation, the Bible says in verses 9 and 10, and God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth and gathered together the waters and called called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And so the land and the sea combined, we see, to meet the physical needs of these people. And and the God who made them protects his people from the demands of life. And, and, And the sea was something that would bring great fear to these people, yet God showed them how he could minister to them through it. When we think of the creative work of the hands of God, we can be reminded that he's looking over us. And this truth leads us once again to verse 6 that really served as our beginning place. And in verse 6, we find this heartfelt appeal once again in this text for us to worship God with all of our hearts. The psalmist said, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Every human who has ever lived will bow down and worship God. Everybody. Nobody's above that. Nobody's beyond that. Every single person. Romans rather 14, 11 says, It's written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. You see, friends, the key to joy in life and the key to the heart of worship is the conscious decision on our part to humbly come to Him. To make the determination personally, I will worship God. You see, you meet Jesus one of two ways. You can either meet him as the lamb. He came as the lamb, you know. The word picture in that we understand as we put the Bible together means he came as the one to to give his life for us. But Jesus on the other side of this life is not pictured as as a gentle and meek sheep. He's... He's pictured as a lion. And the picture on this side of things after our life is it's not voluntarily coming and and bowing before God. For those that didn't come to know Christ in this life who rejected him, who spurned his love, it's, it's under the hand of judgment that they are forced before him. So we're all going to meet Christ and we're all going to worship Christ 
But what we're dealing with in this life, these span of years we have, is the terms upon which we're going to do that. And we have a decision to make. Will we bow before Him in faith to establish a relationship with Him in this life or not? If that decision's been made, we, we also have a decision every day of our life. Am I going to live for Him today or not? And the difference in all of this is, do we have a heart of humility when it comes to worship God? Well, we'll acknowledge Him. And in light of who He is and what He's done, will we voluntarily and joyfully yield our lives before Him. Our Father, thank You today for an opportunity to study this, this great passage of Scripture. And Lord, I would ask You today to help us to not just evaluate this in terms of uh, what we see at face value, but we would let this text evaluate us. Help us, Lord. We need You so desperately. Help us, we pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.